Hello, and thank you again for listening to Biospace's Weekly Roundup. I'm Lori Ellis, Head of Insights, and I'm here with Greg Sklobakin, News Editor, and Tyler Patchen, Staff Writer at Biospace. Thank you both again. And on this episode, I'm going to honestly say, Tyler, every time I say your name, I want to say Terry Pratchett. I know it's not, but I want to do it. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, I'm honored. And on that note... Greg, let's start with you. Yeah. So last week we had quite a Friday. It was a news day. I can't uh, remember the likes of. Uh, We got not just one, but two major FDA approvals. These were simultaneous, by the way, for two gene therapies to treat patients with sickle cell disease. And so Friday we saw an FDA approval for Vertex Pharmaceuticals slash CRISPR Therapeutics Kaskevi. And we also saw an approval for Bluebird Bio's uh, Lifgenia. And I think one of the interesting things, oh, there's two interesting things, maybe three about this approval. One, we certainly expected the Vertex CRISPR decision to come through. The PDUFA date was Friday. But we actually got a Bluebird Bio's decision earlier. I think uh, December 20th was when uh, that PDUFA date uh, was set for. So, we got the news early, and there's two areas which I'd love to talk about. One is price, and the other is a black box warning. Oh, please do. Which one would you start with? Well, let's start with price, because I think in many respects, that's the most shocking to some people. Kaskevi, you know, this is the Vertex CRISPR gene therapy. It's going to be available at a U.S. list price of $2.2 million. Bluebird, on the other hand, set their wholesale acquisition cost of Lifgenia at $3.1 million. So there's quite a difference there. And the only way I think it can be looked at, it really was a strategic error in, in terms of pricing. It's a mistake that cost the company on Friday, you know, 40% of its share value. And so it's not surprising. Analysts were decidedly negative about it. Evercore, for instance, gave the advantage to Kaskevi due to this price issue, but also this black box label. There is no black box warning for Vertex and CRISPR's Kaskevi. There is, however, a black box warning for Lefgenia. And so I think the two of those combined had a decidedly a negative impact on uh, Bluebird on Friday. Yeah, I agree with you. And I am just going to discuss patient access. Because right now with these therapies, that is becoming more and more prevalent. And I actually think it's going to be more of a litmus test for the industry. And I think, honestly, from what I see as an outsider looking in, it's really going to create a situation where we're going to have to have more discussions, more collaboration, and really take a look at the manufacturing of these drugs. So that these prices or these price tags are not so high because that's great that you have these drugs. But then there are so many other questions that come into bob. How does the healthcare system absorb that price tag? Can they absorb the price tag? And if they cannot, well, then how does it actually reach the patients that it needs to reach? And I know right now those discussions are happening, but I have a feeling as more of these drugs become approved, more patient organizations and advocacy groups are going to be demanding those questions to be answered. 
Yeah, I know you raised great points. I mean, patient access is very troubling given the high expense of these drugs, but also what will we see in terms of coverage from health insurers, both the private companies, the commercial companies, and then uh, on the Medicare, Medicaid side. So that's to be determined, but I mean, it doesn't look good. And I, I must say, I got particular sticker shock from Lifgenia's price of 3.1 million. That seems exorbitant in comparison to some of the other estimates that had been out there for for these kinds of gene therapies. So I would say also uh, financially where Bluebird failed was in getting an FDA priority review voucher, which it had planned to sell to Novartis for over $100 million. And this was something announced in the third quarter. We all know Bluebird is cash strapped. And so them not being able to secure this FDA priority review voucher on Friday's news means that they essentially have enough cash to last them through the second quarter of next year, and that's it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do to survive. On a surface level, it's interesting to see these CRISPR drugs starting to come out and just getting the FDA approval over the line. I think a lot of people in the scientific community and in just sort of the general um, in the pharma community are very excited about this. I think, you know, I, I definitely stand with, with Greg on many of the points with between the two drugs. Definitely, I think the, the black box warning hurts Bluebird. I don't know where you kind of pick up from this. It almost looks like the, the market has almost decided kind of which one is maybe going to be more preferable. Now we're going to see what happens. We all don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what, what the future holds. It is quite possible Bluebird could, could write the ship, but yes, I think um it's definitely uh i think it's something that they need to watch out for and i, I you know i don't know where they kind of go from here because it's that's definitely uh, for lack of better terms a, a black eye yeah i i just want to remind our readers or listeners that you know this black box warning for bluebird bios lifgenia uh, this is related to certain cases of blood cancer in patients treated with the drug so it, it's very serious it doesn't sort of take these side effects off of Cascevi, which is, you know, the offering that got FDA approval from Vertex and CRISPR Therapeutics, because, and we've talked about this on a previous podcast, you know, they got the regulatory go-ahead for the first CRISPR-based gene editing therapy for sickle cell disease. And, and while that's historic, it's groundbreaking, all that great stuff, this uses CRISPR-Cas9 technology, which we all know was uh, something that awarded the Nobel Prize more than 10 years ago, but this technology has its own potential off-target effects. And so it's it's a sobering reminder there that even these so-called good gene edits can actually go bad. But without a doubt, to have a black box warning is, is a whole different category for uh, Bluebird Bio. So I think that's a really good segue into Tyler, some of the stories that you've been following last week. Yes, uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, I was following. Number one was uh, Axela Health kind of becoming was the latest uh, flagship company to, to close its doors, flagship pioneering, and had a few companies that have kind of been uh, that have gone under, been liquidated this year. But the reason I was kind of interested in Axela's was because they were developing a drug to uh, treat uh, long COVID or prolonged COVID-19 fatigue. It was being investigated by regulatory agencies in the United Kingdom and, uh, of course, the FDA. The company itself had already sort of had headwinds already building uh, in December of last year. 
you know, they, they had a Nash treatment that the stop work on switched to long COVID. For me, why this is important is, you know, it's kind of showing where, again, where some of the winds are shifting and they're clearly shifting away from COVID. With this, long COVID is still going to be with us for, for quite a long time. For There's a lot of people who are suffering from this, you know, the after effects of the pandemic, the shockwaves are going to be hitting us for years. And I think it's still important to have some sort of countermeasures or some sort of uh, drugs that are important for people who are going to be going through this for a while. Even let's say the drug didn't work at the end of the day, it wasn't going to work or this or that or the other. You know, I think the point is, is that nobody really, there's not a lot of juice right now behind that market. Granted, you have the, the big COVID makers of Moderna, Pfizer, having kind of off years, off quarters. So I think that just kind of is just another sort of indication of, of where the, the market shifts are. It's not in COVID anymore. It's say GLP-1s or ADCs or in the, or in the gene and cell therapy space. You know, I, I, things are shifting as they always tend to do, but I think it's important to realize that there's people left behind here at the end of the day. You know, Tyler, I agree with you on that. And it looks like the only option right now for those suffering with long COVID are to use those off-label prescriptions that have already been approved and that have shown to be somewhat effective. And I think besides, you know, where the market is shifting, I think economically is where it's shifting as well. As, you know, we're looking more of an economic crunch and you're really having to be very careful and strategic in what your pipeline is at this point. Absolutely. The other thing on the M&A front, which was interesting last week, it points to markets. I mean, long COVID uh, we've talked about here, but it points to markets that continue to be very hot. One is in the neuroscience space. Uh, we got a reminder of how hot the ADC market is. And then uh, DLP1s, uh, you know, as, as Tyler just mentioned. So, I mean, last week we saw AbbVie continue this buying spree. They purchased a, a neuroscience-focused company, uh, Cerebell Therapeutics, that was for $8.7 billion. And this follows closely on the heels of AbbVie's $10 billion acquisition of Immunogen, which, of course, is, is an ADC company. And they have uh, Elahair, which is a FDA-approved antibody drug conjugate. The other thing uh, that happens with this Cerebell deal is that AbbVie now gets late-stage assets. That includes a next-gen antipsychotic medicine. They also uh, you know, have a potential best-in-class uh, for the treatment of schizophrenia. So so there's some real uh, pipeline acquisitions that AbbVie's getting. Now, the problem is that analysts were, were decidedly negative on Cervell's pipeline and how much it overlapped with AbbVie. They raised the possibility that the Federal Trade Commission might actually uh, not approve the acquisition. I guess we'll see. Uh, but analysts on the whole said, while it's risky, it was a very smart deal. The other major deal we saw last week was in the GLP-1 space, and Roche uh, basically jumped back into that space with a $2.7 billion deal to acquire uh, Carmont Therapeutics. So this acquisition will give Roche access to both preclinical and clinical assets, including three GLP-1s. And again, they're looking for a best-in-class potential to treat obesity. So those markets continue to be strong. Speaking of acquisitions, Tyler... I believe you've been following another story about Vanda. Yes. So Vanda Pharmaceuticals um, added another drug to its arsenal, J&J's uh, sort of multiple sclerosis treatment, Ponvori, 
uh, last week. It, well, it acquired the rights in the United States and Canada to the uh, Bonvori from uh, one of J&J's subsidiaries, Actelion Pharmaceuticals. Vanda paid about $100 million up front, but J&J's Janssen will kind of continue to operate this business. They'll figure out, you know, the sort of uh, areas behind uh, regulatory supply. Obviously, Vanda, good news for them in that, you know, they, they uh, will kind of just made adding just another drug to its slate of products. They kind of told us that, you know, the, the company plans to maybe establish its own sort of marketing campaign after the transition period, maybe considering sort of potential indication expansions to it. So definitely a pretty solid deal for Vanda. And, you know, everybody kind of kind of wins out at the end of the day. J&J's uh, just, you know, gets some more money and uh, Vanda looks to just continue uh, continue upwards with with a new drug in its in, uh, in its arsenal. So, Lori, we have some developments in Europe on the artificial intelligence front. Right. So this is new as as they've actually formulated their position. However, they've been working on it, I want to say, since 2021, early 2022. So it was before, you know, chat GBT. And they have separated four elements, artificial intelligence and Gen AI, which were actually really big players in the discussions now. So the prohibited elements would be anything that exploits or manipulates human behavior. So that is stuff like social scoring systems. So think of just anything that would be discrimination, such as race, religion, gender, beliefs, and injustices like those. Then there is the regulated high risk, which I think pharma is going to sit most likely in, and that is health, safety, and anything that's fundamental rights. So healthcare is actually listed there. Then you have the limited risk, which is chat bots and whatnot. Now, with pharma, that actually may go into a high risk, just, and this is me just thinking out loud, because chat GBT, if they're asked medical questions, they have to give the right responses. And then there's the low and minimum risk, which is like entertainment. The interesting thing is this is the first step for a parliament. And so right now it's the framework. And so I think by the end of the month, they are getting together right now and having discussions between parliament, the commissions, and then the member states to really get into the logistics. And they hope to have a complete framework by the end of the year. The hope is development won't create any type of illegal comment. Um, it includes the summaries of the copyrighted materials used to train. Now, it also applies to not only the EU, but any providers and users of AI systems outside of the EU that it is actually going to be used in the EU. And that's where it really stands out. So this is definitely going to be very interesting to see how it develops, because this framework, um, as we've already seen in the United States, you know, Congress was basically using some of what the EU had already started in part of theirs. So that'll be interesting to see what happens, um, not only in the EU, but then how other companies adopt the EU into their own strategies. Really interesting. Is it fair to say that Europe is ahead of the U.S. in this in this kind of regulation? I would say by the fact that they actually got together and politicians agreed, yes. Now, a lot of the regulations, to be honest with you, are almost no-brainers. So the FDA is already doing a very good job of regulating, but as a whole, our federal government hasn't given a list like this. And so I would say, yes, the EU is ahead. I think this is very timely. And the reason why is um, I recently had the podcast with uh, Microsoft, 
And I can honestly say, and this is not the first discussion that I've had with a um, tech giant or a technology provider, Acuvia was on as well. And what I'm noticing is there's very thoughtful conversations. Those tech companies that have moved into the healthcare space are already thinking about safety. They're already thinking about how can they minimize risk. And that gives me a very optimistic view of the future. For the most part, reactions to the EU have been positive. However, there are some lobbyists saying that it potentially could limit innovation. Wow. We'll be watching. Uh, next month is is a critical time frame, it sounds like. It does. Um, and I'm optimistic that they will make that time frame that they uh, set for themselves. However, my realistic expectations is potentially in January. But thank you, Greg and Tyler, for your insights. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to one of us directly.